This is episode number 146 of the Rising Man podcast with Shay Ayana. Rising Man meets Rising Woman. Welcome back, Rising Man family. Thank you for joining me today. I am Jetty Azuma, the host and creator of this show and the founder of the Rising Man movement. I am so honored and stoked today to finally have the founder and creator of Rising Woman on the show. Rising Man, Rising Woman coming together full force. But before we jump into that today, I want to speak to all you guys out there directly who have yet to jump in full force into Rising Man. I know you've been sitting on the sidelines. I know you've been listening to the podcast and that's wonderful. But the only way that real transformation and change occurs is by getting into the game. So go to risingman.org. Check out the opportunities and offers we have for you guys to get involved. You can become a part of your own virtual men's team by joining our fire circles. You can be on a men's team with me for the next 12 weeks, working on your leadership, your power, and your presence in Inferno. Or you can sign up to join us on a four-day wilderness fast out in the nature next spring. Sign up, check it out, see what's there for you, and find what that edge is that you're being called to lean into most. Okay, my guest for today is Shay Ayana. Shay is the founder and visionary of Rising Woman. She is a conscious relationship and spiritual psychology writer, the co-founder of an eight-week online program called Heal Your Relationships, and the co-author of The Mystic Moon Guide. Shay spent four years as an apprentice in transpersonal therapy, depth psychology, and shadow work with a spiritual teacher and went on to co-facilitate women's groups and conscious relationship workshops. In this episode, Shay broke down what it really looks like to be in a conscious relationship. We discussed what a conscious relationship is, what it looks like, and why it's important to strip away some of the lofty headiness of consciousness in order to reveal what it really takes to be in a conscious relationship. Shay talked about her marriage with Ben Goreski from Evolving Man, a guy who's been on here on the show before, and some of the unique ways that they navigate their relationship. Shay also shared about her upbringing, growing up on the streets and developing a radical independence and self-sufficiency that made it challenging for her early on in relationships. We also talked about one of Shay's quotes, ultra-independence is a trauma response. Love that one. We unpacked what that means and how we can learn to receive support and love from others. This and so much more without further ado, Shay Ayana. All right, Rising Man family. This is a conversation I've been really excited to have for a while to bring on the founder of Rising Woman here to have Rising Man meets Rising Woman, Shay Ayana in the house coming in live from Vancouver. How are you today? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Thank you for taking the time. Is it okay if we talk about the book process that you're in right now? Tell us what it's like to write a book. (laughs) Oh my gosh. You know, it's funny because I'm a writer and if I don't write for a few days, I start to feel like I'm going insane. Like it's part of my DNA. And yet writing a book is kind of torture. (laughs) I don't know why, but it, you know, it's, 
way different. It's super challenging. It's confronting. And I had a friend recently say something about how it can kind of bring up this existential stuff because a book lives beyond you. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting concept. I never really thought of it like that before. But, you know, it's it's exciting. It's stretching me for sure. Yeah, I can only imagine. I know that for myself, I write music and I create music also as something else, another part of who I am. And putting structure And that sort of that masculine, rigorous energy behind the creative process is really tricky. I imagine there's some sort of schedule you got to keep just to keep the book flowing. I hired a coach. I have two editors because we have two different publishers in different countries, but they kind of work on things later with you. So I ended up hiring a coach to work with me and she's holding me accountable and helping me with the structure. Because like you said, that's just a whole other realm. Like when I create, I'm channeling, I'm tapping into something. I'm just letting it flow. There's really no structure. It feels very chaotic and it happens instantly. Like if I sit down to write an Instagram post or something, it's like a few minutes and it's done. And I'm like, what just happened? But with a book, you have to be so much more strategic. And that's just something that I don't think I'll ever fully have in me. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to just bring this person in. She's going to be my Shiva and I can stay shocked. Create and she's kind of helping hold down the fort. So I think that that is a really important piece is knowing if you're a super wild creative, having someone else to come in and be that structure is important. Totally. Uh, And that just makes me think of the different dynamics that we have within ourselves, the masculine and feminine and really knowing yourself. Because I think we talk about masculine and feminine a lot here on the show, because I know for a lot of men, I know for me, it's been challenging to embrace feminine as a part of who I am for all of the, just all the story around what it means to have a feminine component inside of a male body and to just really accept who we are and the qualities that we have and then learn to get help from people on those other parts that we just don't do so well at. So I've been really excited to have this conversation with you because a big part of this work for men is really understanding more deeply what our, what our sisters are going through, what women in the world are experiencing. One of the biggest awakenings I had was back when I was a, I was 23 years old living in New York city. And I was that young night version of myself that didn't care. I would throw on my hoodie and a backpack and I'd ride the train anywhere in the city and felt invincible. And I remember telling a couple of my friends who were women at the time that that I would just walk through these different neighborhoods and they were, they couldn't believe that I would do that. I was like, what are you talking about? And that was the first time that my eyes were open to the fact that, oh, these, these people are having a different experience in the same place that I am. I'd never really thought about it before. So that was when the seed was first planted and in, in getting more involved over the, in this work over the past decade, just how important it is to really understand what are the experiences like for women? And so I wonder if you could just speak a little bit to that and maybe just your personal experience of being on this planet as a woman right now in this time. Mm-hmm. Whew. Do you have four hours? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I won't claim to speak for all women because obviously we're, I think we're all so unique and so different. And I can speak just the things that I sort of see in the field that I see working with thousands of women and then what I experienced for myself. I think there are different levels and stages of development. I don't want to use the word consciousness in a way that sounds condescending, like, oh, some people are more awake than others. I think that's kind of rude. But I think that there are different stages of growth that we go through or different, maybe even conclusions that we'll make along our journey, you know? And I think for some women, they're really in that initial stage of, still feeling really 
unsafe, unsafe in the world. They're still carrying a lot of their traumas from the past. There's a lack of trust of men. And then there's sort of just this like expectation that they'll be let down or that, you know, things aren't going to go well. And then I see, you know, on, on the polar opposite side of that, I see like two poles happening right now. It's quite distinct where on the other end, you have these like naked wild woman tantricas, right? And they're the like, you know, period blood all over the face and like fully surrender to a man and like be in your feminine. And in a way, I feel like that is sort of force feeding a different agenda. And I also don't feel like I resonate fully with that, even though like, you know, deep vows, you are in that and that's beautiful. I think right now women are confused, just like men are, I'd say just human beings of like, who the hell are we allowed to be? You know, and like there's all this shooting going on and there's like this, it's like an internal energetic conflict. And then we're seeing that in the world right now where, you know, it does feel like there is a, a war between the sexes, you know, like we're like wanting to, you know, quote, smash the patriarchy. And at the same time, men are being given mixed messages about how to show up. And so are women, like women are constantly being told to be more feminine right? And then we're told that to be more feminine, that means that we need to behave a certain way, that we need to like wear dresses or, you know, do things that are really feminine in nature. And I also kind of think that's BS. Like, I don't need to wear a dress to be feminine. I can wear a dress and feel feminine if that's my expression. But also, I have a distinct connection and relationship to my masculine that I really adore. And I think because I work with so many women, having that is what allows me to feel strong in the world in what I'm doing, right? It's like that anchor. And so I think women are just confused about who they're allowed to be. And I think so are men. So it's it's sort of a confusing time because there's everybody fighting for different agendas And in that, they don't actually see that they're still force feeding some ideology instead of supporting people for just being who they are and letting that expression be okay, letting that expression be true for them. Yeah, it's so fascinating because it sounds like you're saying the same thing that I see so many men experiencing. There's this period of evolution that we're in where we don't really know who we're supposed to be because we're asking the wrong question. We're asking, we're not asking the question of who do I, who do I want to be? Who do I, who am I on an essential level? And I find that people, I think of it mostly as an extended adolescence, because I feel like adolescence is the time where you try on these different ways of being, you go through your different fashion phases and music that you like, things that you're interested in, trying it all out. And I think that right now there's still a lot of people who are doing that and haven't made it to that stage of just deciding who am I? And where do I feel most congruent internally with the way that I express myself externally? Yeah, I think that's important. Like empowerment doesn't look a certain way. It doesn't. And there's, you know, there's no right way to be an integrated man or an integrated woman or an integrated they or them. If you don't want to identify as a gender, but, you know, for for this context, let's just identify as a gender. I think because there's so much confusion and there's like a lack of grounding in our culture right now, because we really don't have a culture, we're really fighting for security. You know, we're doing that by trying to tell other people how to live. We're trying to fit ourselves all into certain constructs that, you know, maybe aren't necessary. You know, like we see people as unintegrated or integrated based on, you know, how embodied they are in certain energies that we see as accurate or correct. 
But, you know, like for me, for example, I'm quite feminine, but I can also really tap into that inner masculine. And, uh, you know, part of that is because of, you know, my history and my traumas. And some of it is just because it's who I am. And I feel really comfy in that. And I don't plan to change it, you know, nor do I want to. So I just think that maybe we could loosen our grip a little bit and start to see the beauty in diversity and different ways that people express who they are. Yeah. And it makes me wonder if you find that the women that you work with get tripped up on the on placing themselves into the category of being hyper masculine or needing to be more feminine. Because I find the same thing happens for men that particularly those words, they they elicit a type of belief or trauma or I think it reverts a lot of us back to wounding or bullying of us needing thinking we needed to be a certain way. Or when that genuine expression was coming out when we were younger, that it was stifled by some external message. So do you find that those words specifically trip women up that you work with? And that maybe there's a different description that we could use? Yeah, I mean, I think it all comes down to this whole, like, I'm not enough or I'm too much kind of thing. Like, that's what it ultimately boils down to for all of us, right? Like, if we're not masculine enough or if we're too masculine or not feminine enough. I mean, like, I think that these are just ways that we're, we're identifying energy imbalances, but it's, it's not coming out right because it's too simplified. Do I see women who maybe are quote vary in their masculine to their detriment? Sure. But like, what does that actually mean? You know, I think if anyone is too in their masculine, then they're going to be, you know, sort of, pushing against in some way or be immovable, maybe not as flexible with change, maybe not opening themselves to as much creativity, maybe not resting or surrendering enough to life, right? And on the other hand, if we're all in that like feminine yin energy, it's like very passive. Maybe we're not taking action in our lives. Maybe we're not bringing the fire, you know, that solar energy. And I sometimes I like to speak in terms of elements like solar, lunar, that kind of thing, like air, water, earth, fire, because it feels a little bit more integrated (laughs) 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 because it's like, really I see us all is made up of earth elements. Like I really feel like the earth, we're so connected to it. Nature, we are nature. So when I think about what I want to integrate more of, you know, for the longest time, I was like all fire. Cause I was like safe for me to be fire. Water wasn't safe for me because water was like stagnant and slow and was vulnerable. And so I think as we grow through life, we learn how to work with different elements that we can be rooted Mm. Oh man, I'm so with you. I just actually, I just had this realization like within the past couple of weeks that it might serve better to stop using the terms masculine and feminine in the work that I do and use fire and water, you know, because I think that's something that it bypasses or, or it gets around that part where people tend to get hung up in the word masculine or the word feminine. And I, I spent a lot of time in Native American church and Native American ceremony and that's their compass is the elements and fire has an energy to it and water has an energy to it. And so do air and earth. And they don't really speak about them in terms of, well, fires for men and waters for women. That would be out of balance. There's a time during these ceremonies where men tend the fire and there's a time where women tend the fire, where men carry the water and women carry the water. And so I just see that we're trending in that direction where we're putting We need to put less emphasis on those words and what they've meant historically, because that's what has created so much separation, what's divided us 
internally and collectively, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I mean, I really do see it that way as well. And, you know, solar lunar, like even before we started recording, you know, we were talking about different energies of places and we can really feel that internal energy or that external energy. And I think when we do speak to it in that way, it is easier for us all to relate to it. And I think there are times where, you know, lately the masculine feminine thing has actually been kind of getting under my skin and I'm, you know, one of the people who was all about it for so many years, like that was my thing, you know, like reclaim the feminine and, you know, I want a masculine partner and all of these things. And then as I'm getting older and just like really processing this stuff and being with it in my body and like letting nature speak to me, I'm like, Hmm, this isn't really resonating on a deep level. It doesn't feel like truth. It feels like a grasping. And when I really tune into what feels true, it is elemental. Mm. Yeah, I totally resonate with that. And also, I just want to say it's really refreshing to see someone who's a leader out there who's willing to let their message evolve and to be flexible in your beliefs. Because I I know that when I first started Rising Man, I had a belief and a context for masculinity and femininity that's that's transformed. And if I went back and listened to some of the things I was saying three years ago, I'd go, ooh, that doesn't represent me right now. And so I I love hearing that from you. And it makes me wonder, what was that first question or inspiration that sparked your desire to start Rising Woman? What was the problem or the thing that you saw that you said, this is what's got to come through? Yeah, you know, I think it's just so many things. I mean, my history of growing up, you know, kind of on the streets and childhood trauma and abandonment and all the things, abusive relationships, I went through a lot. And when I was about 19, I was in a really violent relationship. I'm really lucky that I survived it, actually. And I remember a distinct moment where he had attacked me and I had escaped and I had locked myself in a bathroom and I looked in the mirror and I could barely recognize my reflection. My face was just not looking the same. And In that moment, I was stunned at my reflection, but then also all of a sudden, just something just came through. It was like a vision of me on stage speaking to women about domestic violence and being in their power and healing. And I really just in that moment felt that that was my calling. And this is way before I ever, you know, started anything like this. So it was really, really early on, basically, as soon as I became an adult that something had come through like, Hey, this is your purpose. And I even told him the, the guy at the time I was like, Hey, I had this vision. And I think I'm actually going to be speaking on stage about this stuff one day. Like, I think you should really go get help. <laughs> and um, I, I ended up getting out of that relationship, but early on, I felt a calling to work with women. And I had always been a writer. Like since I could write, I was writing books when I was like, seven, I wrote my first children's book and my teacher told me I'd be a famous author. So it was just something that was sort of percolating, I think, in my DNA from the beginning. And then when it was time, I started to really feel like I wanted to just create a space for women to find their own unique path and really just explore all sorts of modalities. And it started off just with me writing. Like I had no offerings, no nothing. I wasn't even coaching. I just put out my writing and that was it. And I started Rising Woman with, I made almost no money. I had gone through a divorce in the past. I had lost everything. And I bought the domain and paid for it on payment plan. It was like $6,000. And I just started building it slowly, just as like a heart 
project. It really was something that I didn't want to put any pressure on. And then I was working with a transpersonal therapist and a spiritual teacher for many years who's, you know, Ben works with as well with the brotherhood. And uh, it just sort of evolved into a space where I felt like helping women and people connect with themselves more, find their truth and understand conscious relationship as a pathway to more harmony in the world, which is really like knowing ourselves, knowing who we are and how our minds operate, how our shadows operate. And so it just sort of took a life of its own. Yeah, I can also relate to that journey. I know for me, I'd created Rising Man out of something that I needed for myself, that when I first found that, oh, there's spaces I can go where men are going through similar things that I am and I can share about that and not be ostracized or criticized for it. Wow, okay, let's let's go deeper into this and surprised to see how many men didn't have that out there in the world. And you know, I know the the narrative typically that I hear is that, well, women are way better at connecting and, and sharing about their process than men are. Did you find that that was true And as you started to get more involved with bigger cohorts of women? You know, it's interesting. I hear that a lot too. And I think on some level, I understand it because when it comes to romantic relationship, I do see that women are the drivers, right? Like we are usually the ones who are out seeking the couple's course or seeking the book to read or seeking the process to do or whatever. Even in my own marriage, you know, I'm with a guy who's really into this stuff and I'm, st- I'm still the one who's kind of like, hey, let's do this workshop or whatever. But When it comes to brotherhood and sisterhood, what has been interesting for me, because I'm so connected to Ben and he, you know, is an executive of the Samurai Brotherhood and my backyard is always full of men. I, and I've run women's groups for many, many years. I've had an interesting view where I get to see how they both operate. And what I found was that, you know, in romantic relationships, men may lead the charge less in terms of like taking action to do the work together, but they're, they're willing. But in brotherhood, I think in some ways they connect more. It's almost like there's less, it's like there's less wounding amongst men. I find that women take a really long time to trust each other. There's a lot more tiptoeing around the truth with each other. It takes a lot longer to repair between women And I think maybe part of that is because, you know, in general, and of course, this is a generalization, I'm not this way, but also gets me into trouble. Men are often more direct with each other. You know, like if they're, if they're mad at each other, they just sort of, they just fight it out in the moment and then it's done. Whereas I think for the most part, women tend not to do that. And of course, on a primal level, that makes sense. Like we're not wired that way. We're wired for like safety and to, you know, not get ourselves hurt or attacked. Right. Yeah. Are you familiar with Alison Armstrong and her yeah. work? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, so for so long in my early twenties, I, I love her work. Yeah. it's It's been great. Cause that was, my wife had a lot of experience in studying her work before we met. So I was, we were definitely set up for sex and uh, success in that department. And then she, and then she introduced it to me and I was like, wow, this really feels resonant. I know in her work, she talks about, she makes the declaration that women don't have honor, Yeah, which I know is always a really triggering thing <laughs> to say. And women are like, what are you talking about? Cause it's like something being taken away from you. But I wonder if you could speak on that and maybe whatever messages you've heard through Allison. Cause I know that she, she kind of explains what you're describing about women having a hard time trusting each other. Yeah. Well, I mean, the whole women don't have honor thing is funny because when I've said that women get really upset about it too, but I think that we have to go into the nuanced meaning of it, which is really pretty obvious to me. And even in my own marriage, like how me and Ben operate, like 
I am always speaking truth in the moment about how I'm feeling. And that can change probably will in about two minutes. Right. And I'm very much just like operating from a feeling base. So if something feels good in the moment, then it feels good. And if it doesn't feel good later, then it's not going to feel good. And so I can't really fully like give my full word to certain things. If my feeling about it changes, whereas, you know, men are more oriented toward, you know, a code of honor and to like, you know, be consistent in a certain way. And you even look at that in men have a circadian rhythm, a 24 hour clock and women have an infradian rhythm, a monthly clock. So we are shifting actually hormonally week by week. We're a different person every single week. This is not up for debate. This is just reality. This is science and men are not. You're pretty consistent. It's the same thing every day. There's very little fluctuation. So it's not an insult in any way at all. It just is a different code. It's a different program that we're operating on. And I think it's really beautiful if we can accept that. Like I'm in a different space than you are. And how can my friend Jordan, he often calls Ben and I mother nature and father time. <laughs> and then good. he watches us try to communicate about something and we have a glitch and he's like, Father time has a conversation with mother nature. And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's exactly what's happening right now, you know, and we hold different polarities and different perspectives, which is cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it and it is really cool when we can step outside of and look at more objectively at it that, yeah, that I, as a man, I operate a certain way. And what you're describing about having a code of honor and a code of conduct that, that rings completely true for me. And I know I see it in other men. It's refreshing for men when we can find something to commit to. And I know with, with women and what I've experienced, my wife tells me all the time, I just forget is that there's that feeling place that doesn't account for time and metrics and specificity that is also totally valid. And it's, it's just hard to negotiate the two when, especially when I think that having a code is the correct way to operate in the world <laughs> and vice versa for my wife. Well, don't you think that's so cool to have that polarity between you? You can sync it up and be like a sort of like a dream team, you know, like she's got that part covered, you've got the other part covered, but then you also have a space where you get to fully be in that, you know, with your brothers and, you know, she gets to be in that with her sisterhood or whatever, because I think that's why men's groups and women's groups are important is because people get to just relate to each other on a certain level in that way. And I see that with men, like it's really healthy for them to have that place to be intimate with each other. And I've seen men really go deep together and really transform and heal and grow and be vulnerable. And I think that it's imperative that we have those spaces. Agreed. It was actually a huge relief for me when both my wife and I accepted that I can't be everything for her. I can't be the rigorous, committed provider, protector man and the girlfriend at the same time. It's too much distance for me to cover. And I, I don't know how to be that for her in the same way that her best friend can. And it was around the time our son was born. He just turned five recently that I just said, hey, why don't you why don't you call one of your friends and ask them about what they would do about this? And it, it just opened up this whole portal where she was like, oh, I can take these things to them. You don't have to be that for me. Because of course I want to provide my wife everything that she needs, but I can't be that. And I think that's a bigger, you, you said before we don't have a culture, but if we did have a culture, part of it is around needing to be everything for the people in our lives. That's the reason we're getting into trouble with how we raise children is that, we think that children can only be raised by a mom and a dad. And it's it's so incomplete. 
that that version of a nuclear family is incomplete. And I think it's the same problem comes up in relationships where if we don't have, if I didn't have my men that I could go to and share and discuss about what I'm going through in my relationship and have that relatability. And if she didn't have the same with her, her ladies and her sisters, I don't know if we would, if we'd be able to make it, it would definitely wouldn't be the level of fulfillment that we experience today. Yeah, I agree. I'm with you on that. I feel like Ben having his men's groups has made him a better partner to me. And, you know, me having my own friendships and sisterhood has made me a better partner to him. I personally actually need a lot more time alone, I think. I mean, he's like the most independent person I've ever met. So he's certainly never, you know, chasing after me or anything. But like he he's just off doing his own thing. And when he's out with friends, I'm usually like, okay, well, I could call a friend or I could be alone. I think I'm going to be alone. I need a lot of that. But it's nice because not only is he getting other perspectives and he's getting nourished and he's getting strengthened, but also there's accountability built in. Like having a community holds you accountable to the principles that you all agree to live by. And for us, we all agree to live by honesty, truth, owning our shit, you know, communicating, working through the hard stuff, asking for help when we need it, you know. And so when something big comes up in the community, we don't let it fester. We call it out as much as we can. I mean, there are, of course, always exceptions and times where everybody's just like, okay, let's back off of this for a bit. But, you know, when it comes to, you know, for example, our our married couple friends or things going on in relationships, you know, we tend to stand for each other and help each other through it or give each other the fire or hold each other in a vulnerable way. And I think that that is, like you say, it's something that's missing in the nuclear family where, you know, everybody needs their own everything. Everyone needs their own lawnmower. Everyone needs their own whatever it is. And we've sort of like removed the need to need anyone. Like it's nobody goes knocking on the door for a cup of sugar to borrow an egg anymore. You know, why, why not? I think that that is what we need to bring back, you know, like go across the street and ask your neighbor if you can borrow something or, you know, bring your neighbor a pie. (laughs) I don't know. I think like we need to reconnect that village mindset in a way. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. It made me think of our wedding ceremony. We designed our own wedding ceremony and we, we got married. We set the chairs of everyone around us around the altar in a circle. And part of what we did was we made vows to each other and we went through kind of a ceremonial process there. But right after we made our vows, we asked everybody who was there to stand up and take a vow to help us protect and nourish our relationship. And we knew what we were doing conceptually, that we wanted to have support. We knew we would need support going forward. But because we asked people, the people who were there to stand up and stand on behalf of our relationship and to support both of us in solidarity through the course of a lifetime, I really feel like it gave people a different sense of what they were showing up for. And it's, we've been married for six years now. And so in those six years, we, it's been tough having kids, relocating, starting businesses, stopping businesses, all of these hurdles that so many people out there are doing completely alone. And we've never had to have that. And so I know conscious relationship is a term that's getting thrown out there a lot. And I don't know how you feel about that terminology, but whatever you're describing, tell us more about what it looks like. Cause I, I know your husband, Ben, shout out to him. Awesome dude. It sounds like you guys are in it a lot and on all ends of the spectrum. So what does it look like to be in a relationship like that? Well, I feel like when we hear the term conscious relationship, if we were just to simplify it, we might misinterpret it. I think what conscious relationship means to me and what I try to explain to others is 
the, really the only difference between being in, you know, a conventional relationship and a conscious relationship is that in a conscious relationship, not only am I willing to do the work, I'm, I'm looking at my mind. So rather than making everything about you or placing all of the blame externally, when something comes up, I own that as something that's happening within myself. And I get curious about my mind and my patterns and, you know, what from my past might be informing my present day thoughts and actions and behaviors. And so I think conscious relationship really does take two people who are committed to self-awareness. If I had to use a few words, it would be like self-awareness, personal responsibility, and, you know, willingness um, to be wrong, to grow, to drop your sword, to open up your heart, all of those things. And I think, you know, that's been a long journey for Ben and I. We've been doing the work together since we met. Like two months into our relationship, we started doing Tantra and shadow work in group therapy containers. And for a long time, it was blissful in the honeymoon phase. And then we went through a pretty big power struggle. And then we, you know, we're moving into our sixth year together now. And things are really getting to that place of true partnership where it feels like, you know, we understand each other. We understand each other's patterns. We can laugh off most little glitches and we're learning how to really navigate tough things in a, in a way that keeps us connected. But I feel like it's a lifelong journey too. Like some people are, you know, they're, they're blessed with an early family life that is fairly calm and secure. Most of us weren't, I would say. And so, you know, relationship can be more challenging for some of us. I'm one of those people. It's very challenging for me. I think it would be much easier in many ways for me to be single and just, you know, go off and be a hermit and write. So of course, you know, my lifelong challenge is to stay in the game and be in relationship it stretches you relationship stretches you because when we're in relationship, we're really kind of getting tested all of the time. And we find somebody who represents somebody from our past, usually our caregiver and on a soul level, we're really trying to heal, you know, and close loops. So I think it's important that we also find a person who's willing to hold reverence for us when we're, you know, processing a wound or when we're vulnerable and, you know, someone who's willing to lean into that a little bit because the idea that it's supposed to be easy is not a concept that I can relate to. <laughs> no, no. We were just laughing about it because my my son is just getting into a lot of the older Disney movies now. So him and my wife were watching Little Mermaid for the first time the other day and my, uh, you know, it was one of my wife's favorite movies when she was growing up and she's look. she watched it with fresh eyes. She's like, oh my God, a lot of that messaging is really not so great for young girls. And also just appreciating that those of us who grew up with movies and influences like that in that generation have this fantasy romanticized version of what love can look like. It's the beginning of the fairy tale without the, the challenge of it. And I think, I know in our relationship, we, we have a practice of choosing each other every day and expressing that to each other out loud that, hey, regardless of where we're at, I, I, I choose you today and repeatedly making that choice to still be in it. Because like you said, it's, it's easy when it's great. It's easy when it's great. But to be in relationship with one person in this world that we live in, in this all the stuff we're navigating culturally requires that you're able to go everywhere with each other. And I agree, you know, similar for us, you know, we're starting to make it through that, that window. I, Cause I think we, we've faced off with so much of the stuff that wasn't presented on the brochure. Right? <laughs> when, when you get into relationship, you're like, this is the great stuff. And then all the, the subtext and footnotes that don't present themselves. And so, 
you know, a lot of people say being in the work together. So more specifically, what does that actually look like for, for you guys? And for, I know you guys also coach couples in this stuff too. Yeah. We have, um, we have a couples course now called creating conscious love, which is like a six week program that we take people through all the exercises and intimacy processes that we use kind of the go-tos in our relationship. Uh, And, you know, for us, it's looked many different ways. A lot of it has been, you know, tantric practice, eye gazing, a lot of clearing, which are just rituals for never holding on to resentment, you know, anything that could or will create separation or, you know, resentment or defensiveness, then you clear it. You just bring it out. Um, Radical honesty. We're radically honest with each other. And to the point where I think um, some people get threatened or triggered by, you know, I've written before about, you know, us being honest with each other, if there's an attraction to another person, um, rather than letting that build in the mind and then having our little ego convince us that we need to go act on that, just, you know, just say it out loud, you know, Um, very human, very normal. Um, And people get upset about that kind of stuff. But that is sort of the level of commitment that we have to truth and honesty. And it's really being mature adults. Like we're not here to take, we are here to take care of each other's inner child, but we're also here to be adults in relationship. Our inner children are our responsibility and we can be nurturing and loving and accepting towards those, but we're not operating from that child state. You know, we're two adult sovereign individuals and we both value freedom and independence and autonomy. um, And we value honesty, loyalty, and commitment. And so I think that that combination is most vital for us. Uh, It's the most enlivening and um, you know, it's not always easy and sometimes it's boring. Sometimes it's downright torture and other times it's bliss. And um, it's like a good old ayahuasca journey. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Well said. (laughs) I think it's also important to mention because I hear you describe your relationship with Ben. It sounds a lot like my household is that when I know for myself, when I talk about and reflect on experiences my wife and I have had in our relationship. I talk about the the function of it and sort of the mechanics of taking ownership, right? Radical ownership for my truth. And I think sometimes it creates this expectation that if I do this, then it will lead to resolution. And a lot of times it's just not the case. Sometimes it's like, okay, wow, that opened up something really challenging for either or both of us. And it's not going to be resolved just because one of us was really honest. In fact, now we've got to go a little bit deeper into that and scour through it. Some of that stuff for us has taken years to make some progress through. And well, totally. And sometimes it will never get resolved. I think who was, I think it was like Harville Hendricks. We work with them and they said like, maybe it was the Gottmans, 80% of relationship conflicts and marriages never get solved. Mm-hmm. So good luck. Yeah. (laughs) I just think it's good to remove that expectation that resolution is the outcome of of any of these tools. Right. And which is all the more reason why to just that it's not about resolution and a happy ending and rainbows and butterflies. It's about staying in the game and being accepting. Mm, Yes. Yeah. Accepting because I think acceptance is ultimately what leads to love. One of the things that I've gotten from some of the men's circles I've been in is that they say that surviving a relationship and and being able to to stay in a long-term relationship is actually the best that you could hope for. I know that's a statement that's very triggering for some people. They're like, well, wait a second. What about the fairy tale and the, and the, the joy? It's not to say that there's not moments of that, but it's not only that part of the picture. There's so much more to it to be in. Yeah, it's a spectrum. And I think where we get caught up is like, There are, you know, in working with women, I see a lot. Okay. Like I see 
some intense stuff. I cannot believe what people are doing to each other in relationship. Like the amount of stories I hear from women on a daily basis about how men are treating them. I'm like, wow, that is a whole other level of shadow material. Like it's atrocious. And so I think when we have people coming from that place, they, they hear survivor relationship and they think, oh, then that means that I should just, you know, put up with this abuse or I should put up with these boundaries being crossed. Or like if this person just completely invalidates my emotional experience and that's, you know, that's just the way that it is. I think you and I, it's almost like we're in a bubble so we can forget about that stuff sometimes. But when we're speaking about surviving a relationship, we're kind of being jestful in a way because it's like, hey, it's not always easy. It's not always sunshine and rainbow. Sometimes it's hard, but hard doesn't ever mean that you are devalued as a person. Hard doesn't ever mean that you have to, you know, self-abandon or sacrifice your boundaries or your safety or your values in order to receive love. It just means that, you know, the real life of things is that you're You're going through all of the same challenges you would already go through, but there's another person there with you with their own lens and their own expectations and their own needs and their own yeses and nos to things. And those don't always line up and that can be challenging. But this whole Disney fairy tale, which is, you know, my programming too, because I grew up on Disney is it's incomplete and it's not the way that it is. But also if you do the work and you are honest and you clear your resentments, and you're willing to show up for each other and not look at your disagreements or your differences as an opportunity to convert the person, then you can learn how to live in harmony together and not have to have your partner be the same as you. Yeah, I really appreciate you clarifying that because that is important. And it is easy to forget about the experience that a lot of people are having in relationship out there in the world because I think you and I are both fortunate to be in relationship with people who, who are right there with us and that that everybody's capable of that. I don't think that I'm special. I think it's just a matter of, like you said, facing off with it, being willing to not always be right, not always win an argument. I mean, how much of relationship problems is just related to not being willing to admit or take ownership for where we were wrong or where we overstepped the boundary? Yeah. You know? Yeah, or just like where we're projecting, like where our child self is coming in with a wound. And that doesn't mean that what you're experiencing isn't valid or that your feelings shouldn't be empathized with. It just means that that inner child that's throwing a tantrum doesn't always need to get their way. And sometimes your partner can't fix it. And sometimes it's not their job. And sometimes they're just as triggered and pissed off or unsafe feeling as you and they can't rush in and be your security blanket right now. You've got to do that for you. You know, it's not this perfect balance all the time. And I think in as coming back to this whole masculine feminine thing, one of the things that drives me kind of bonkers, and again, I perpetuated this in my early 20s, was this whole idea of holding space. And it's sort of all put onto the man, like, oh, you're you're the mountain. Be my mountain. Hold space for me while I throw dishes at your head. Are you kidding me? Nobody has that sort of patience. And if they do, it's really, they don't have any boundaries. So it's like, I think we also need to get into the habit of holding space for each other when we can and extending what we want to see from our partner to our partner, you know, being willing to go first sometimes, you know, compete to put your sword down first, you know, and accept that, you know, in the moment, they might not be able to give you what you need. That doesn't mean that they're a bad partner all the time. 
Ben doesn't give me what I need a lot emotionally. He's not equipped for that in some cases because he responds differently to conflict than I do. And so I had to learn how to grow up (laughs) and be in my adult self in those moments and nurture myself and then ask for what I need in a different way, you know? And he had to learn how to soften and how to show up more. And that took us years. It's We're still practicing. So we can't be so quick to throw in the towel. Like if that willingness is there, you know, it just might take a really long time. Mm, I love that. And I think that's a really nice way of articulating what it means to take responsibility for your part in something. That's oftentimes where I direct people to first is, well, what, what's your part in this? You know, what's, what's your part in this mess that you're complaining about? Cause we don't want to talk about our dirty socks. We want to point out everybody else's and everybody's got something, right? I actually want to go to the other end of the spectrum with that. Cause there was, as I was looking through some of your recent stuff, there was one thing that really jumped off the page to me. You said ultra independence is a trauma response. Just Go into that because I think that's a really great point to speak about here. Mm-hmm. I think that it's kind of relates to what we were speaking about earlier with this like nuclear family structure that we have built in our culture, <laughs> our culture, where we have been taught that, you know, success is having a lot of money, that to have made it in life, you need to be married and have a 2.5 kids and the picket fence and whatever the, you know, the good job. I mean, that's shifting now, I think, with our generation. But that's sort of like the, the climate that we live in. And in that, we've really been taught not to ask for help and that we are all entirely individual and that independence is, you know, the highest form of empowerment and that to need anyone is to be weak. But on a human level, on a nervous system level, we are wired for connection. We're as babies, we cannot survive without it. We literally will die, right? We don't just wean out of needing connection as human beings. I mean, if you're going to, you know, be a renunciate and go up into the mountains and be a monk, sure, go do that. Most of us aren't going to do that. So then you're not exempt from this. You are wired for connection. And that means that There are going to be moments where the best thing and the healthiest thing for you to do is to reach out to somebody who's safe, right? You know, when I say like in, you know, in my partnership with Ben, like sometimes he can't show up for me. That's when I have to show up for myself. And it's also okay for me to expect that sometimes he's going to show up for me, right? If we're in a partnership where he's constantly never showing up for me and I'm never showing up for him, well, then we're not showing up for life. We're not showing up for our relationship, But it's this idea of perfection that we have to get out of. But really, when we grow up in an environment that's not safe, like for for me, I grew up in an environment where I was on the streets. I was in foster homes. I was like running with kids that were 10 years older than me, criminals, people who are in and out of jail. Being vulnerable was not safe. Okay, like there is no way I would show my vulnerability because I would get the crap beat out of me or something like the only thing that I would show is aggression and confidence, even if I was scared shitless, which a lot of times I was. Um, And so carrying that into adult relationships, of course, you know, like I said earlier, fire easy, got that (laughs) water. Ooh, I had to work on that. Right. And so being in my vulnerability has been a practice for me. So independence in a way is my response to learning that I can't trust anyone, you know, and I learned that early. So I'm unlearning that by being in relationship. But with that, I think, you know, again, it's like, there's so much duality in all of this. Like it's, it's all, there's always two sides to it. We can't expect everyone else to save us constantly. We need to know how to self-soothe. And we also 
should not expect to have to do it all alone all the time. But sometimes your partner can't be that person, right? Like sometimes I need to call a girlfriend or a therapist, right? We can co-regulate with a therapist. Right. Well, I think what you're describing is been really put under the microscope during the pandemic. All those people that were living on the fringe of lack of connection and then really not having access to any kind of connection, even just walking past people on the streets or sitting next to people on the train. I could feel it collectively, everybody, everywhere, just how much we actually need connection. Uh, People that you would never expect to say, man, I just want to hug somebody, (laughs) you know, just say, I just want some physical contact. Like you said, we're wired for it. We need it. It's, it's part of our survival. It's so human. And I, it hurts my heart, honestly, when I see people who feel bad about it or who feel like they're needy or like they're clingy. And I'm like, no, you're not. You're so normal and human. You deserve love. You deserve connection. You deserve to be seen and valued. And the truth is, is so many of us just did not get our attachment needs met. And it's, you know, our parents didn't have the equipment that they needed. They didn't know. And so, you know, for those of us who are, you know, more in that broken attachment camp, which is like 50% of the population, it can be confusing sometimes and we can feel broken. But I think that we're learning to remedy that. You know, we're creating movements like Rising Man and like Rising Woman and all these other groups around the world where encouraging people to come together in whatever way they can to create a sense of safety so people can be seen, be heard and and feel valid in their experience. I think that's the most human thing we could all do for each other. Mm, yeah, I really love that. And I, I, I agree with what you said before, too. I think we are shifting it. I think that we have accepted that that's the work of our generation. And I can already see the evidence of that. The people who I would never expect to talk about being in a conscious relationship or reposting stuff from, from your page. And I'm like, all right, wow, things are starting to sink in here. It's, it's good. It's, it's inspiring. And so I'm really grateful for what you do. I've really enjoyed having this conversation with you today. It's so good to connect with another woman out there who's doing incredible work. And I always relish an opportunity to to look at the world through a woman's eyes, because I know that there's so much that I'm missing. And so before we wrap up, I've got some lightning round questions for you. Are you game for that? (laughs) All right. So uh, what do you love and appreciate the most about men? What do I love and appreciate most? Oh my gosh, so many things. I'm not lightning, just so you know, I'm not going to be super fast. All right, do do your best. (laughs) Yeah, I think one of the things that I really love and appreciate about men is that I feel that there's a real desire to be of service in the men in my life. They want to help. They want to serve. They want to protect in a way too. Like I feel really cared for by the male friends that I have in my life. I think it's a really beautiful attribute of that solar energy, right? Providing warmth. Okay, so what frustrates you the most about men? What frustrates me the most about men? How do I word this? I think what frustrates me most about men is sometimes I feel like they don't have a respect for the female intuition. Like they don't, sometimes I don't feel like they own their mother projections. (laughs) So they don't trust the women in their lives. Yeah. That's a whole nother episode right there. (laughs) I was just like, oh, wow, that's a bomb. That's a good one. (laughs) Good answer. I'm going to, I'm going to reflect on that for myself where I'm not trusting my wife's intuition. Part two. two. (laughs) And then if you have one singular message for men out there, maybe something that we misunderstand about women or something that you want to say, you've got a whole bunch of men out there across the world listening. What would you want to share? 
Oh my gosh. So many things. One would be that it's okay to be gentle with yourself and with others. It's okay to trust women. We're not your mother. We don't want to be your mother. And that you deserve respect and that you deserve a chance. You deserve a chance to earn the trust of of the people in your lives. And that I think I see a lot of you doing the work and doing your best to hold strong in that. Beautiful. Last but not least, where would you like to direct everybody who wants to follow you, find you? Maybe tell us a little more about the courses that you guys are offering right now, whatever you'd like to share. Cool. So risingwoman.com is my website. So you can, of course, go and check out all the offerings there under programs. We do have a membership called The Path, and that is sort of like a spiritual university. We only open up the wait list a couple of times a year. The next time is opening up in uh, 2021 in January. So you can join and you get to take workshops with people from all walks of life for, you know, therapy, authors, teachers. Ben and I have a couples course, which again is on risingwoman.com under programs. And then I have some free meditations as well on the site, big on Instagram. That's where I put all my free writing. I write almost every single day. So even if you were to never take a program of mine, you, I've heard from a lot of people that they've you know made a lot of progress in their lives just from consuming the content, which you're totally free to do if you would like. And that's at rising woman. And then my personal is at Shalina Ayana. Beautiful. And I could personally testify to the writings that you've put out there. Like I said, I, nine out of 10 women in my life have heard of you, follow you, and the majority of them have said that you've helped them through some really hard times. So Shay, uh, thank you so much for coming on here and being in this conversation, but more importantly, for all the work that you're doing in the world. It's amazing to see a woman who is rallying other women together and, and also bridging the gap between men and women in the way that you are. Big shout out to to Ben. I love that guy and glad that you guys are doing well up there and look forward to tracking your journey and connecting again sometime. Thank you so much. This was a great conversation. It totally took a fun turn and I like where it went. Likewise, likewise. Well, have a wonderful rest of your day and I look forward to seeing you again soon. All right, fam, I hope you enjoyed that. This is an episode I was looking forward to for a long time. So grateful that Shay took time to have this conversation and dialogue with me. You know, I think a big part of this work is bridging the gaps between these growing men's and women's communities. Obviously, I know, we know, there is certain work we can only do in circles with other men and other women. Yet, we do need to be able to bridge those gaps. That's how we can come together, how we can be in the solution together and in these amazing relationships on so many different levels by honoring the masculine, the feminine, man, woman, child, everybody sitting around the same fire together. So I hope you enjoyed this conversation that we had. Make sure you go to risingman.org to check out links for show notes and all the resources that we talked about in this episode and others, as well as your opportunity to get more involved in the Rising Man movement. Please subscribe and follow us wherever you're listening to the podcast. Check us out on Instagram at Rising Man Movement. Give us a follow today and go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash the Rising Man Movement. We're going to be dropping new videos come 2021. So get yourself subscribed today so you don't miss out. Shout out to my Rising Man power team, Rowan, Sean, Julian, Ryan, Mark, and Roy, our newest member of the team. Welcome, brother. Appreciate all you guys for everything that you do. It wouldn't be possible if I didn't have a team. That's just straight up. So thank you guys for continuing to show up to help me hoist the Rising Man banner and wave it proudly across this virtual platform. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.